Welcome back to The Brandon White Show, where we have conversations worth listening to give you an edge to win in your business and your life. I'm your host, Brandon White. Here we go. Welcome to The Edge Podcast, your weekly playbook about the inner game of building a successful business, making you a happier, healthier, and richer business owner. And here's your host, Brandon White. Hey, Brian. Hey Brandon, yeah. How's everything uh, going? It's going well. It's a uh, it's a busy quarter for us. We're going to be uh, doing our second fundraise next quarter. Um, so you know, a lot of my CEO time is kind of ramping up for starting on that. But um, business is going well. I think we're solving a lot of problems for small companies, and uh, uh, the team's good and solid and. Um, got some good partnerships and go to markets doing all right. So feel good about it. It's a, it's a good business. Thanks for having me. Yeah, right on. Well, can you, can we step back from Havoc Shield and then talk about how you got started in business? Yeah. Uh, software engineer by trade, uh, worked on both sides of the, the industry, you know, the consulting side and the product side. So designed a, a couple larger uh, advertising marketing businesses for a, a search engine who lost the war to Google in the early 2000s, but, you know, was, was still trying to compete in those, er, in those arenas uh, and uh, built some large e-commerce sites for Maui Gym, Hello Kitty, Warner Music Group, you know, folks like that, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and then uh, got bitten by the entrepreneur bug and went and build, built a, uh, crowdfunding business in real estate. So uh, that took me out to Los Angeles for about four and a half years uh, and uh, raised a, a seed round out there, an A and a B, processed about $3 billion in loans to um, fix and flip real estate investors uh, and uh, uh, did that with you know the fractional investment of normal people, which was really cool. Uh, you know, dentists and software engineers and anyone else out there uh, after President Obama passed the 2012 Jobs Act that allowed a lot of that. Um, exited that business uh, and uh, moved back to Chicago. And uh, Havoc Shield sort of started, uh, you know, after my personal pain, uh, trying to defend that last startup, but mostly the the last role that I had here in Chicago, uh, which was as VP of engineering for a data science uh, software maker, and they had a they had uh, clients that were you know enterprise like Fortune 100 clients, and they also had uh, political campaigns as their clients. So um, we hosted about nine out of every ten Democratic national uh, political campaigns in front of the 2018 midterms. And we were getting told by, you know, uh, the powers that be basically that, hey, you're going to get attacked. You better get really serious. And uh, and then day to day, I was sort of like, you know, the most technical executive in the room with customers trying to convince, you know, McDonald's that we had done enough to uh, deserve their business in, a, in, in, in terms of the security program. And we really had, you know, um, it was like 120 people at the time. And, uh, and, you know, no security team really to speak of. And so we had to build it from scratch. And I got put in charge of that. Uh, so um, seeing how painful that was and like 
the the risk and reputational impacts of that and the the revenue impacts, right? Like customers are way more stringent about the small vendor security than they ever have been before. Uh, you know, solid need talk to like other area CTOs, VPs of engineering, you know, directors of IT, you know, people who get stuck with that responsibility and have a whole different job. And uh, uh, quit my job and started Havoc Shield. So that's where we are. So did you always want to be a software? Like what made you decide to be a software engineer? Uh, I was really fortunate as a kid to have a computer really early. Uh, you know, my parents had a an old Apple um, and I was always fascinated by it. You know, and these are dial-up days, you know, where you got charged for every minute you were online. So, you know, there's a few arguments to my parents about accidentally leaving the modem on, you know. Uh, but um, I was just infatuated with the computer. And when I was in high school, my parents told me I had to go get a job. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't really want to, uh, you know, go out and work at a fast food joint or anything. And so I uh, was getting better at website design uh, and trying to kind of fool around on the internet. And uh, so I emailed, I cold emailed the, the radio station in town. I had a really crap website. And uh, just like their contact form, not even email, just like their reach out to us form and say, hey, I'll do your website, 200 bucks. I totally underpriced myself, <laughs> but, um, but it got me in. And the, the, the owner of that radio station, uh, you know, they said yes, like to their credit uh, and, uh, uh, you know, figured it out. And, and the, the owner there ended up owning a bunch of radio stations in the Midwest. And, uh, and so I got to do a lot of them. Um, you know, we got to do. I think it was the first online streaming radio station in the Midwest, you know, in the, in the um, you know, 2005 or something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, I went from there, you know, and my brother was a, an entrepreneur as well and was super into video games and was, was building uh, a couple different, you know, startups and stuff at the time. And uh, so I was just kind of like, you know, inundated in that world and just loved it. And at the same time, uh, I was always like the, the small kid in school, you know, and uh, uh, was was surrounded by a group of friends that were also like small nerdy kids, you know, and so you get picked on. And I was always the the like scrappy one that liked to try to, you know, uh, protect uh, our friends. So like I kind of grew up with a little bit of a, I guess what you call like a protection complex. And so in in uh, in most of the roles and, and jobs and stuff that I've done, I've had that sort of mission to protect people. And so it kind of comes full circle to security. It's funny how that works in life, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so you, parents tell you get a job, you're not going to work at a fast food joint. You decide to build websites. You get lucky, for lack of a better way to put it. You cold email the local radio station for 200 bucks. How, how much work do you think that was? Like, how much do you think you underpriced that? Oh man, thousands. I mean, you know, the, the rest of them with that guy, you know, he, he recognized, I think, uh, uh, you know, that I was going to start charging more, you know, once he saw my work, you know, I think he took a flyer on a high school kid at the time, you know, for 200 bucks. And then he saw that, you know, I could figure it out and could do it and, and, and grew that skill set pretty fast. So the, the rest of them were priced a bit higher and that carried me through college. You know, I got to sort of cut my teeth on client management and, and, and how to price things and, uh, you know, how to, uh, 
how to juggle, uh, you know, multiple projects going on at the same time and all that stuff. And that paid for college. So, you know, it, it definitely taught me a lot. Well, it sounds like you really were a entrepreneur from high school and then paying your way through college. Why did you take a job with someone else out of college versus building a company right out of college? Great question. So, um, because one of the companies I started out of college, it was a, it was a, a business where we were, we built a, a subscription model to get like technology supplies and office supplies at cost. So you could, you could pay a subscription fee and we would, we would, we would ship you like over a million SKUs from a bunch of different, you know, drop ship distributors. Um, and you, you could pay us, you know, basically to get everything at cost. And so, uh, we flubbed the unit economics, you know, we were basically losing money on every transaction and, uh, you know, the business failed and I was hardly paying myself anything at the time, you know, uh, and there was one day, you know, towards the tail end of that business where, uh, this is Chicago at the time before I moved out to Los Angeles and I was living way up North, about seven miles North of downtown. I was working downtown and I, I, I tapped my car to get on the train and it said insufficient funds. And, uh, I was on money, you know, I, I, uh, not paid myself, you know, the business was pretty well out of money. Uh, my cell phone was dead. Uh, and, I walked seven miles home and on that seven mile walk home, uh, I established what I think a, a number of people who have been through that sort of experience as an entrepreneur have to establish for themselves, which is boundaries. And one of mine is that I'll never put myself in a personal financial position again, or my family in a personal financial position that I can't, you know, take the train home from. And, uh, I went and got a job because I got to, I got to eat and uh, I needed some training with, you know, having, having worked for myself since high school, you know, how to be in an organization. And, uh, and so I was really thankful for that, 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 you know, uh, you know, few years there working for other people because it taught me how to be in an organization and how to be an employee and what that experience is. And, uh, you know, I think the, the bug bit again, but, but that's why. And, uh, you know, I, uh, was, uh, was really happy that I did that. And, uh, and since having done multiple businesses since then, you know, have found a nice boundary in, in each one of those instances to, to kind of add to that little list. What made you think that building a subscription business for the office supply space was going to be a winning combination. It's just interesting to me that you were building websites. You were still, it's probably 2008, 2009, if my time frame, if I'm following you, there was still an opportunity back then to build websites for people and make money. There's a lot of noise in the market for yeah. sure. Um, you know, people got on that bandwagon in 2002, 2001, really after the crash. So there was a lot of negative publicity in the sense that everybody and their mother was a website maker, but you had built arguably, you know, maybe not a multi-million dollar business, but some cash flow for yourself. And then you pivot, so to speak, or change course into this office supply subscription business. How did you come up with that idea? Yeah, I think like the 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 
incentive for me was I wanted to build a product business because uh, I wanted to make money while I slept, right? And I wanted to build technology for myself that you could have a roadmap for, not other people. And then you get it to a certain point and then you kind of move on. That's fun. Don't get me wrong. I actually really like the short-lived projects. And, you know, the consulting world is, is actually fun to me, but uh, you can't you can't really grow wealth in a business like that the same way that you can if you know someone in uh you know in, in india is ordering uh, fifty thousand worth dollars worth of office supplies you know and you're making money off of that um so i, I think that was that was the that was the impetus um the idea kind of came out actually from my brother because we worked on this together uh and he had sold uh, he had had a, a job before that reselling, you know, like uh, really expensive Cisco equipment, um, account executive style, you know, direct sales type of thing. And he saw how much markup there was from distributors. And like, you can apply and get to be a reseller with, you know, an LLC and a checkbook. Uh, it's not very difficult. The difficult thing is, uh, is sourcing all this in a way and shipping it all in a way uh, from these distributors across the, the, the globe that makes sense. Um, and we wrote the algorithms to kind of collect all that together and put everything in one place and uh, and had all the reseller licenses so that you, you could do it. Um, so the idea was like uh, people will be attracted to uh, a subscription model there uh, when the type of customer that we would want to work with does a lot of repeat purchases of the same kinds of things that have higher margins and it, uh, like office max and staples and stuff like that. So, you know, paper supply, printers, laptops, stuff like that. Um, and, and we got it. Like we had the U S department of agriculture as one of our clients. Like it was great, but really taught me you got to get your finances right. And like, you know, uh, had a big training, uh, you know, and how to build a financial model and, and how to keep track of these things after that. This episode is sponsored by the Halle Financial Team at Expert Lending. Buying a house in today's market is competitive and you need a lender that can close fast and get you the very best rate. The team is licensed in 48 states and has over 20 years experience in the real estate and lending space and access to lending rates that most mortgage brokers can't get. I know because I'm an investor in the team. If you need a mortgage or know someone that does, call or text Kara at 571-271-9086 and talk to a real human who will give you the customer service you deserve. Again, call or text Kara at 571 271 9086. Now back to the show. Did you actually run the financials for that business? I mean, I understand your engineers. You built the code to optimize shipping, which for me back in 2000, no, it wasn't even 1997, 1998, the issue was multiple, multiple orders from multiple places and you basically got killed in shipping. I mean, there, there's just not enough margin in some of those products we were uh, shipping fishing tackle and there's just not enough margin to make up for the shipping to offer the free shipping that basically people expect or the one price shipping that they expect versus, you know, the multiple at the, how it added up. So did you guys 
do a business plan and financials or did you sort of run that in your head? No, we did. We did a plan and we kind of looked at it. I think there were a comp- couple of complicating factors, you know, uh, and I'll have to stay probably like a level of uh, detail above where I'd like to go because it was a while ago. But like the, 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 the ones that I remember, one are like that world is full of rebating. So um, uh, the way rebating works, like adds a, a level of complexity to the way that things are uh, priced uh, and that affects uh, cash flow. So you don't get your rebates for like a variable set of time. And sometimes it could be like multiple months. And so it became a huge cash flow problem for us, right? Um, but, you know, like bigger companies can rebate these things all day long, you know, on their, on their price because, you know, they've, they've got the cash in the bank to wait for it. Um, we didn't. Uh, the other thing was like um, the, the shipping and the complexities of uh, 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 tax came into play and how you kind of have to finagle with that and what you're responsible for which versus what the client's responsible for. Yeah, so. that makes that makes sense. I appreciate you elaborating. I was just curious. I mean, I, I lived through that error and there was a lot of business models that seem to make sense, but this is probably a business model that actually can work, but it only works if you raise a ass ton of money yeah. and have the cash flow to back it up. And, yeah. you know, there were companies that were doing that. And even yeah. after the crash back coming back in 2003, four or five, six, you know, they, they did that. I remember Brian, uh, my wife was like, Hey, pets.com is going to ship us the dog food for free. And I was, I said, well, how long does dog food last? The expiration date. And it's like a year or two on dry food. Yeah. I was like, order a hundred bags. I mean, furniture.com was shipping furniture to us for free. The rug company was shipping wool rugs that are 10 by 14 or something crazy for free. I mean, there was yeah. just no way that that was, I mean, the economics just didn't work, but for some people like Amazon who financed their way into it, it did work. Right. Um, so I, I don't want to, to bash that, but going back, you become an engineer, you build websites, you build this business with your brother, doesn't quite work out and you run out of money and you take this seven mile walk, which, you know, I've been to Chicago, Brian, I don't, it's either really freaking hot or really freaking cold, the best <laughs> I can tell. So was it cold or hot on that walk? It was October, so I think. Oh, you got lucky. Medium, probably about as best as we could have asked for. Yeah, so you go on the seven-mile walk, seven-mile journey. You decide that this thing just isn't going to work, and then you go work for some companies, which is a good way to learn, as you've said, systems and processes and the thought. Sometimes I think it's overthought. It's probably over-engineered. It probably moves too slow. But having worked in a, a big company before you learn a tremendous amount in a short amount of time. It's like getting your MBA in many ways if you're paying attention and you're not spending more than 50% of your life managing your career, which I'm only half joking on. But um, the, and then you come out and do you decide at what moment did you decide that you were going to move to LA and do the real estate business? Was this a one day you dropped the mic or was this you, sort of saved up your money, remembering your seven mile walk and had some cushion or how did that all unfold? Yeah, we, 
my brother and I again, uh, we were working on it nights and weekends as something to try. You know, we saw the success of Kickstarter at the time. So this is uh, 2011, 2012. Uh, saw the success of Kickstarter and like the, the ability to raise large sums of money for a project people care about in very small fractional amounts, right? And we thought that uh, real estate is the best way to build wealth. And, you know, it has been for generations and generations, but that it's uh, an inaccessible thing for the vast majority of people. Like the, the ticket to, to get into real estate is, is so high and the experience and the connections required is, is are, are, are rare uh, that you just don't, often have access to that as a normal person, right? And so we thought we could pair those two things together, right? Like let's take the the fractional nature of what Kickstarter did, you know, being able to invest $500, $1,000, $5,000, uh, and then create a marketplace where experienced, uh, you know, borrowers who can't get a loan from the bank because this is what they do all day long. You know, they fix and flip houses. They've got a few things on the balance sheet. They're obviously credible. You can underwrite them really easily. It's secured by the the place they're going to buy, but they can't get a loan from the bank because you know they've, they've sort of tapped that out, right? And they're not a huge institutional buyer. Um, put those things together, and uh, and you can create a marketplace and give normal people the ability to create wealth secured by uh, the fact that you have very hardworking uh, borrowers on the other side providing, uh, you know. Um, value in their neighborhoods um so uh we were doing that nights and weekends at 1871 which is like a pretty well-known incubator here in, in chicago and uh, uh a guy uh found us in in los angeles and said i've been thinking about doing this his family had been in uh you know real estate in uh in los angeles for some time uh you know pretty pretty well-off investor and uh and wanted to do it with us and uh it was frankly it was about to be winter again in chicago uh and uh you know uh, i had worked for a few years and, and felt that that bug again it was a great idea so uh he, he had offered to give us sort of our seed funding but his um his shtick was like he wanted to operate in the business too so uh, uh his name's carlo uh, and uh Carlo wanted to Carlo wanted to operate, so um, uh, we we flew out to Los Angeles and kind of took a look, and I was like, "Yeah, this this feels right." You know, this this is nice. I could live here for a little while. Um, and uh, my now wife, but girlfriend at the time, was all set up. She was doing her fifth year teaching certificate up in Michigan, and she was all set up to come down to Chicago and and live down here. And uh, it was maybe it was like, you know two, three months before we we're going to make the decision or actually have to go, you know? And I called her and was like, Hey, you want to go see Los Angeles? And we went out there together and, and looked at it. And to her credit, she was like, yeah, this, this looks great. Let's do it. And uh, very brave woman. Um, uh, so we did it, you know, and uh, we raised the, 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 the seed from, from Carlo. And then, uh, you know, had some, struggles to build a marketplace like building a marketplace is one of the toughest things i think you can possibly do in startup world um so we were just calling i remember one day we were in las vegas at a conference uh, 
remember what the conference was, but you know, we had a super imbalanced marketplace. You know, we had we had a borrower who want one borrower who wanted, I think it was like 125 grand or something for their project. No investors, you know, and just trying to make this work, calling up all of our friends and uh, you know, just trying to build up that original original momentum and uh got it working and you know um it, it caught fire and you know i think we raised a, uh you know, several hundred million dollars from institutional folks and it got bought this summer um and uh you know has a has a large institutional backer now and it's done a couple billion dollars in, in loan origination now wow that's uh you you sold it last summer this summer it took a lot took a while oh, oh this summer uh, this summer what's the name of it patch of land patchofland.com patch of land and you're no longer in involved in it technically still sit on the board just in terms of like a transition uh on the way the the transaction works but um but no no not not day to day wow and how did that feel i assume did it did a big institutional investor come in and buy majority ownership or did they take over the whole thing it took over the whole thing oh wow yeah how'd that feel Great. <laughs> I mean, you could ask my brother who, you know, uh, was the CEO of this. I was the CTO. Um, it's cool. It's cool, man. Like you see value creation, you see, uh, you see the ability of a larger institution to be able to do more with it. Um, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the financial results are nice. Like it allows me to, to do more of what I want to do and, and not, you know, have to think about making sure I, uh, you know, I can pay the bills this very month. Right. Uh, uh, so uh, it's great. I love it. I want to do it again. And how many years did that take? Uh, so we moved out to Los Angeles in 2013. So eight years. In, eight in, years. In uh, September of 2013. So almost eight years. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. It always feels good to get an exit after all that hard work and risk. Thanks. Yeah, that was uh, it's good stuff. And, and then, right. are you creating Havoc Shield in your spare time on weekends as that thing's happening, or how do you get this? Because this summer, it's I was trying to figure out. I'm like, summer? I lose track of time here. Oh, in yeah, no, I I left I left the business uh, in 2017. So oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. So. In 2017, we had sort of built everything from a technology point of view that I wanted to. And I had a VP of engineering under me that was really, really bright um, and, you know, wanted to sort of like take that first try at that, you know, startup CTO role. And uh, I was feeling the desire to kind of uh, get closer to um, my, my, my parents who were aging and uh, you know, move back to Chicago. You know, I like public transportation and the seasons and stuff, even though I regret it in the current months uh and so uh i left i just said you know i think there's we're in a good position here uh you know obviously there's still more to do from technology but devin the, the vp of engineering can absolutely handle this i want to go build new products and uh, uh so i went and came back and, and took a little time off took a little breather and then took another normal normal job as a vp of engineering for uh, a company called Civis Analytics, which is the data science software maker I, I talked about, did that for about a year and a half. And then, were you you were still building Havoc Shield on the side while you were working, or on the weekends, or whatever? 
while you were working or did you just des- decide to quit and figure out something? Yeah. So this one was like the, what we had to build there as you know, about, I think it was about a 120 person company, no security team to speak of, uh, you know, small IT team was like, uh, uh, education and what needed to be built. And I belong to a CTO group in, in Chicago here and, uh, you know, kind of saw over Slack and heard over the meetings and stuff that we did, like consistent security problems that were becoming revenue constraints for them. Like their customers are uh, way more stringent than they ever have been before about getting small vendors because they correctly see them as uh, security risks. Like the whole, the whole target hack happened because of the HVAC vendor, right? Like, uh, so, so, so any startups that are selling to large businesses as just one, one pressure on them are becoming way more stringent. And a lot of them like we're in the same position, smaller companies don't have a budget, like can't hire security staff, even if they could find them, you know, um, and, uh, they all have roadmaps they got to get to. Right. So like they just, they just get given this extra responsibility. We call them security stewards. Cause like, you know, they have a whole nother job. They're VP of engineering, the CTO, they're the CEO. Um, but they're they're trying to answer a 150 question cybersecurity questionnaire, you know, at 9 p.m. Um, and and try to do the homework behind it to actually prove it, right? So we heard that, and and it was obvious. And I had a couple people that committed to being like paying beta customers, so I quit. And then I spent six months, um, uh, spent six months just talking to customers and just kind of trying, trying things, doing kind of consulting types of things. Um, got to sneak into some buildings. That was cool. So for a minute, it was, um, it was going to be testing the defenses that you already had in place. Um, and we pretty quickly got to the fact that like most companies don't have anything in place. We need to help you do the homework. So we got there, but like for a minute, it was going to be, okay, we'll test the defenses and help you improve them. Um, and I got, I, I convinced a couple of companies to let me, uh, you know, try to break in and steal laptops and, and stuff like that. And I got in, uh, I, uh, uh, dressed as an elevator tech on one occasion. And, uh, it's amazing how you can do if you just look like you're supposed to be there. Um, so, uh, yeah, quit, spent about six months doing that felt good. And then I got into tech stars at the beginning of 2020. Uh, and that kind of started the, the sort of like more regimented funding rounds and, and going straight at what we were trying to be. This is your uh, tech tech stars. You did another incubator with your other uh, 17. Yeah. 18, I mean, 18, 1870, what? 1871. Yeah. 18, 1871. Do you like the incubator model? So 1871 was more of like a co-working space style. You know, there's no actual program built in at the time. Uh, Techstars was, well, I guess, like the, the more appropriate term is an accelerator, right? Like uh, Y Combinator is another really popular one, right? Um, and yeah, it was really useful. Um, obviously, at that point, I had I had done this a couple of times um, to varying rates of success and failure as well. And so there was some of like the 101 type of content that... Um, I, I didn't feel that you know I really needed, uh, but they are really flexible about you working on your business in the three months that you're there. They don't like require you to come to every single thing. They say you got to do what's right with your business, and that's partially I think on like 
the quality of the managing director at hand. A guy named Neil here runs it in Chicago. And he's just really high quality, you know, former startup operator, bootstraps kind of guy, you know, built his own business from the ground up too. Um, you know, so they let you run your business. And then, and then some of the content is stuff that you absolutely need. Uh, so like I learned how to build a financial model uh, and how you can use that to, to make decisions on your business from uh, a well-respected VC here in Chicago. And I've you know never gone back from that. I look at my financial model weekly. Um, we talked about positioning and uh, how to go to market with, uh, you know, a narrow positioning and talk to the right people and how like everything else in the business spans off that. And then they introduce you to a bunch of investors and a bunch of customers and a bunch of mentors and and those relationships last. So yeah, I think it's absolutely worth it. Um, it's an intense period. Like you should, shouldn't think that you're going to get much sleep, but like you're a startup founder, you're not going to get much sleep for years. Um, and can you describe Havoc Shield's business today and how it benefits small business owners? I, I'll, I'll tell you before you answer that, give you a break from talking, but the, I will tell you that looking at smaller vendors recently, I tend to agree with you 100%. One of the things that I'm actually shocked, I'm not going to name the industry we've been looking at buying some software in, but it's a relatively large industry that has uh, databases that contain sensitive people data. Mm-hmm. And they're not even SOC 2 compliant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I asked that question and they're like, well, how would we do that? And my answer is, how would you expect me to buy your product with the data that we're going to be putting in there and not be SOC 2 compliant? Oh, we, well, we run on Amazon, Amazon Web Services, or we run on Google Cloud, or we run on uh, Microsoft, whatever. What's it called? Edge? Is it called Edge? Yeah, the new one's Edge. Yeah, yeah. new one's called Edge. Ironically, we didn't rip the name off. Our name's original. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you can blame my our director of operations for our name, but uh, but no, I love this name, Edge. But you know, and, and I'm like, well, that's great. You run on those cloud platforms, but that doesn't. All you're doing is borrowing the servers effectively. I mean, everybody, this cloud thing, and I know for people like you and I who are tech nerds, you know, understand it, but people don't understand is, yeah, you just have a computer in another rack mm-hmm. that serves you that you don't manage and they run it and they put three or four or five internet lines and three power sources so that you have redundancy and they redundancy, you know, across different knocks and everything. But that doesn't mean that you're, that you're foolproof. It doesn't mean that yeah. the hacker doesn't come in on your IP address and attack you. I mean, so I, I tend to see this trend more and more now, especially with everything that's happening. I mean, cyber warfare is real now. It's not, it's not fake. And truthfully, they're really not that sophisticated. Most of the, no, the, the no. attacks I've seen are human error related where they clicked on phishing attacks, where they clicked on the link. I mean, so I, I've, for all the listeners out there, if you have a small business, I guess the takeaway from my rant there is, you know, it, cybersecurity is a real thing. And it's and it's here to stay, and I think it can affect sales. So with that, Brian, what is Havoc Shield? How do, how does it help protect small business owners? Yeah, I wanted to touch on a really good point you made there. Uh, is um, the attacks nowadays really aren't even that sophisticated? You're totally right. 
Um, like you absolutely can get targeted by, you know, state sponsored attacks and really, you know, sophisticated stuff. And you might, depending on your business model, like, you know, the business model uh, where we're hosting all that political campaign strategy material, absolutely. We're getting touched by, by state sponsored attacks, but like um, the, the, the fact of the matter is um, attackers statistically will target smaller companies more often at, than your larger counterparts because they see you as the easier target, the squishier target, because it's true. They can, they can break into a hundred of us for every one they might be able to get into, you know, an enterprise. And uh, we're not likely to have the types of resources to respond to that um, attention from law enforcement, uh, size of the cyber insurance policy, et cetera, et cetera. So like, you know, they're just going after a lot of, uh, of small guys because they can hit them, hit them, hit them, hit them, hit them, you know, and the cash flow is coming in um, and they can do that by using widely available tools, uh, you know, um, vulnerability scanners, you know, pen testing tools that are supposed to be used by security folks. Cali uh, Linux is a popular one that has a bunch of tools and it's, it's free and open source. And, you know, you're, uh, you can take lessons on how to use these things online, right? And it, uh, it's spray and pray. You can use these tools at volume, uh, for cheap on a free digital ocean VM, you know, um, until they find you and shut that one down and then you open another one. Um, and so what happens is they're going to scan for these types of vulnerabilities. You're running an old version of WordPress, for example, you got a port open that you really shouldn't. Um, then they're going to add you to that list of people that they should target, that they should send a nicely, a well-written spear phishing email to, to do a little bit of research on, who your CEO and your controller and people are and try to pretend to be them and get you to wire money you shouldn't, whatever that might be. Um, take a deeper look at your technology and get an admin you know, login because you didn't patch your vulnerability. Like these are real and you don't have to be an attractive, juicy target. You just have to be on the internet. Um, so the risk is the risk is real. Uh, I'm going to put away scary, Brian. Um, that and the revenue pressure and the compliance pressure are putting people in between a rock and a hard place. And you have to be proactive because every month that you're not, it's that much harder to get up to speed on this. And so Havoc Shield is a cybersecurity program that helps non-experts roll out the types of assets uh, that a professional cybersecurity program has in it. It actually helps you do the homework behind that. So you can think of it like a little bit what, like what TurboTax did for complicated tax prep, right? So we take this, ocean of cybersecurity vendor uh, security configuration uh, team training orchestration complexity that is the the industry and that 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 responsibility and we bake it into a step-by-step -step plan that your intern can manage and then we keep it that way right we spin up all the sensors to make sure your staff aren't showing up in data breaches we scan your website with the same tools that these attackers are using so we catch those things before they do uh, we show you how to enable multi-factor authentication on all the SaaS software that you're using. And then make sure your team members do it too. And there's a ton of orchestration, communication reminders and stuff in there. Uh, and fragmentation expense if you go and buy all these solutions out there in the sphere and in the in the ecosystem. And we just kind of pull it all in one tight package, one pane of glass. Yeah, I think that's a great solution. Um, as you were talking in my mind, going crazy because... Uh, on a few things. One is I have been attacked and it was when I used to run V bulletin board, which is a 
message board system, open oh, yeah. source, open oh, source. Now, I think two cows still owns it, or maybe they sold it. I forget. Um, probably the most robust, to be honest with you, backend system I've ever seen for somebody who runs a subscription business, bar none. They knew their business really well, and I ran, I built a whole website on that backend, but somehow I left either. I don't know whether it was a somehow they got in the back end. It was probably because I didn't patch it as fast as I should have. They found the vulnerability. It's open source. They all talking about it on the dark web and they came in and they, they held my site ransom. Yeah. And they're like, Hey, we're not going to release it. And I did have a backup because I backed up every hour, but um, I still needed the whole site. Like to, to, to restand up a site is, as you know, and for listeners out there, it, it is not a minor thing. And it's not just, yeah, I could install the software on a server, but the configurations, configurations take a week, two, three weeks to, to, to do. Um, and the other thing that, I, I, oh, the thing I wanted to share with you, Brian, believe this, believe, if you can believe this. So I, for this podcast, we have an email list that I don't know right now, we clean it regularly. It's probably 16,000 plus for, for, for the podcast for listeners. And I sent out a email on the best password managers to use and that you should basically that was a little piece brian on hey you know your password my passwords are north of 15 characters multiple characters with two-factor authentication on top of it and i get this i'm going to call him a smart ass uh i would use a word that starts with jack but um he's probably listening probably spam me after this anyway but i don't care the fact is, is this jackass emails me, Brian, and says, I subscribe to this email and your podcast because I want to hear about business things. And I said, well, you just did. Mm -hmm. and, and I think what I'm getting at here is, is that business owners don't, maybe they're starting to put it together. But I think as a small business owner, and you appreciate this, and I do, you know, having started small companies and you grow, you get people who can help you. But in the beginning, you're just trying to keep your head about water, right? Like, do I have a product? Can I sell it to the customer? Will a customer pay me? Do I have product market fit? Do I have cash flow? I got an employee issue. I got, you know, a customer service issue. The bank account isn't right. I got to put a new person on. And it's just like, that's, that's your day. And you forget that there's this thing and maybe you don't want to accept it or you don't even understand it, that in today's world, security is a big deal because if someone hacks your email and gets a hold of your email, they get a hold of your customers, they get a hold of your customers, they get a hold of your business. Yep. And it just, it's an ugly thing. So I share that, I share that story not to pick on this person, but I did find him, I did, I'm calling him a jackass because his attitude towards me, but mm -hmm. is this lack of understanding that you know, security is, you know, the internet and everything that we do. And two-factor authentication is like one of the simplest things you can do that people just don't do. Yeah. And it's not foolproof, right? It's not completely foolproof, but it's pretty foolproof. If you use a an app authenticator, would you, would that be fair to say? Oh yeah. No, it's one of the first protections that, you know, if we we onboard you as a customer and you tell us, you know, that you don't have MFA turned on, multi-factor authentication. That's probably like task number one that we're going to have you do. Yeah. I mean, just these simple, if you're listening out there and you have a business and you, you don't know what that is, go into your settings and look for multi-factor or two-factor authentication so that 
you can get it. I don't think email is a super one because if they fished your email, they'll get it, but it's better than nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so how much does a, does the service that you offer small business owners in general cost them? Yeah, so it's uh, it's uh, designed to be uh, like as simple as possible. So we took all of that like complexity of the way that the security industry prices things and just made it uh, a seat-based price. So it's $14 per user per month. Um, and there's a couple different tiers that give you less or give you more, but that's the core of it. And uh, um, like if you anchor this against uh, a contractor to help you, right? Like you got one of these security questionnaires, you got to get buttoned up fast or, you know, Godspeed to you, but you have to get SOC 2 compliant. I've been there and had to do that a couple of times, you know, like this is tens of thousands of dollars less expensive. And when you do need to go and do those things, you need to get SOC 2 compliant. It's going to be tens of thousands less expensive because you're already going to have a lot of this in place. In fact, we work with CPAs who are the auditors behind the SOC 2 program or the the SOC 2 compliance uh, regularly uh, because they pass the customers who just aren't ready for it yet to us. And then we hand them back right when they are ready. And those folks go through weeks and weeks faster. And by virtue of that, thousands and thousands of dollars cheaper. And then if you look at the risk part of this, like you you talked about how it can take weeks to just bring a site back up, even if you're blessed and smart enough to have all of the stuff backed up. But you lost business during that, right? Like, I don't know how much, but like you definitely lost dollars, right? Oh, I'm panicking every single minute. I mean, back then I was running... It was a social networking site for sport fishermen and an e-commerce site. Every single second, you're—I mean, as soon as that site's down, somebody else eventually they're going to go to another site, and then you risk your your users migrating, and or somebody wants to make a purchase, right? And you miss it, or it just—and it doesn't make you look good. <laughs> no, yeah, the reputation thing is huge. It's huge now, and like. Um, most states, I think it's 45 states, don't quote me on that, but it's right around there. Most of them have uh, data breach laws now. Um, and so if you get breached, you now have to register in a database that is there in perpetuity. If you search your company, you're going to show up, right? Google's going to show up, state of Illinois data breach register, you know, whatever your company name is. Um, you know, and the, the whole compliance thing is huge too. I won't get into that because it's it's pretty boring stuff, but like, Nowadays, you have to put up a cybersecurity program to even do business in the first place in a, in a lot of industries, financial services, healthcare, education. But yeah, man, the reputation thing is huge. That's what scares me the most is like you, you can lose customers from that super fast. And uh, from a financial perspective, even if you have insurance, we work with insurers regularly. They're all tightening the requirements and they're all decreasing the amount they're going to pay out, especially for common things like ransomware. And so like more and more, if you do get hit, it's not going to be the end of the day on that financially. Yeah. Um, um, I want to shift gears here just for a second. How have shift gears from what you do for business owners to your business? And how have you been selling your product as a SaaS subscription business? Basically, you're doing SMB, small, medium-sized businesses. What's been your, you're on a podcast, obviously. So all the listeners are hearing about Havoc Shield and, and we'll check you out likely for their small business or medium-sized business, but what's been your most successful, if it's podcast, that's great. Is, has it, has there been a channel that you've 
looked at and said, hey, this is where we're going to double down because this is where we're getting our leads from? Yeah, so we started with just being helpful. I'm a huge believer in uh, content marketing, but like uh, the right kind of content marketing. You have to be in an industry where there's a need, like there's a there's a white space for it. And with all of these pressures, like um, you have small business owners, SMB leaders moving from a reactive stance in security to a proactive stance in security. They're deciding that they should do more, which is great. I love it. Um, maybe not as fast as I'd like, but it's there. Uh, and so like, if you go to our blog, why I'm on podcasts, one is to have interesting conversations with interesting people, right? Uh, this is amazing, but like, uh, is, is to share the knowledge, right? Like our blog is just a bunch of resources about various things when it comes to SMB security and we give it away for free. And so, uh, I think today, uh, and we would like this to be more, but like transparent, I think our, our traffic is about like 28% organic and it converts the best. So going into trial or demo and then coming out the other end as a sale, by far the best. And so we're going to continue investing in that. Um, however, we know that like direct just like doesn't really get you the type of venture scale that we need. Like we are a venture backed company. Uh, and um, so channel partners have been really important to us and we've invested more there recently. So think your MSPs, your IT providers who have a lot of the same problems that their customers have. Like these are folks who now more than ever are being asked by their customers, what are you doing for me in security? You're managing my accounts, you're provisioning my laptops, et cetera, et cetera. And security is, is foist upon them. But oftentimes like these people don't have a big training in security, right? Um, and uh, they're running small businesses themselves. And uh, they have, you know, uh, a lot of like entry level techs. And so like the labor doesn't scale well to what is a more sophisticated requirement from their customers. And so we built tools for them and a pricing model for them where they can add a service layer on top of our software and add value in managing the, the rollout of that and the maintenance of that. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, they get the TurboTax for security. So they can have a person straight out of high school as an entry-level tech run a fully professional compliance-aligned CISSP certified reviewed program for their customers. Um, so it solves a lot of labor our margin problems for those channel partners. So that's right. kind of where we're going. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, how, what round are you on now? A round? So we we completed our seed uh, after Techstars uh, about this time last year, and we still got good runway. What's what's uh, in today's world? Seed change a little bit from my seed. Seeds now is like one to five million dollars, maybe even seven here in the valley. Yeah, it was one and a half, one and a half million. So you guys have revenue and you're and you're running a lean team, I assume. How big is your team now? Six. Six. People. Six. And 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 I encourage you to keep it that way for as long as humanly possible. Yep. Um software eating the world, right? What's that? Software is eating the world. Yeah. I mean, software is it, it's happening. I just think I it never happens. You know, you made a comment earlier, marketplaces are some of the hardest things to build, which they are. It's like building a forum a message board or a chat room. I mean, you got to get everybody there. It's like running classifieds. You got to get the, the the buyers and the sellers. And in your case, you did real estate, which is the same, same sort of thing. It's super hard to get that flywheel because it's almost, it's not almost, it's a, above a full-time job just to get one side of your marketplace on there, mm -hmm. much less two. Yep. Um, 
you know, I was really grateful. I was lucky. I started in 1996 and, you know, there wasn't a lot of people on the internet and I rode that wave because I was there. And I had a lot of organic traffic um, moving up as that happened. But the, um, you know, subscription businesses take a while, but once they, once you get them, you keep your churn low, you know, it's a, it's an incredible business, but it never happens. It's like the overnight success, right, Brian? 10 years, 20 years later, the overnight success. Everybody used to say that. Yeah. I worked at America Online in the early days. In the first 10 years, Steve Case was, you know, I remember they were across the road in Leesburg Pike behind a car dealership mm-hmm. as this dial-up company that not a lot of people would invest in. And then, you know, 10 years, that the, the 10, 10 to 20 was this rocket ship. But the first 10 was, you know, crickets. And it's this yeah. overnight success that isn't overnight. But um, I think you're going about it right. I think you have a, uh, there's a real pain point for people in small businesses. I think your hardest challenge is, as I've sensed in the discussion is you got to convince them that they have the problem because they don't even, they have the problem. They just don't realize they have the problem and, you know, but you're an outsourced solution. So with that, Brian, do you have three HPTs, high percentage tips to leave with our listeners to give them the edge in their business? Oh man. Yeah. And it could be for security. It could be for building a company, whatever you think could be a combination of both. I'm going to go higher level. Um, Things that have helped me uh, throughout businesses uh, do this better, faster, stronger, right? So like one is get out of the building and just talk to customers, right? Like the, the problem comes first, not the solution. And a lot of the time, the biggest problem your customers have isn't the problem that you think it is. And your customers probably look different than you think they look. And and the only way that you discover that uh, is talking to people about their problems and not your solution, right? Don't go and say, this is what I'm planning to build. What what do you think? You know, you got, what are your problems? And like, does security keep you up at night? Like, why? Like, you know, those types of questions. Um, Second distributions everything right so spend just as much time iterating on your go-to-market uh and channels as you do your product right like you can build an amazing product you can have an amazing team but if you don't figure out quickly enough how to sell the thing and how to reliably get it into people's hands and the right people's hands uh you know you're gonna run out of cash so like I am not a salesperson or a marketer, by the way. Like I'm an introverted software engineer and uh, it's a really tough thing to do, but you have to do it. And you have to make sure that you have good skills on your team, whether that's in you or someone else, but you got to spend time on that. And the third, um, I'm going to return to my introversion and say, write way more, uh, write things down and writing for for you personally clarifies thinking, right? Like you can have these great ideas. You can go into a meeting sort of half cocked and talk about it and then kind of get lost in the conversation. Writing moves you purposely, right? So uh, you have to clarify your thoughts and kind of put them into uh, sense and you, you can throw away some of the things that don't matter as much, right? And that in turn enables, uh, asynchronous communication, right? So you can deliver these things uh, to your team and you can uh, work with people around the world so that you have more hiring capabilities when it comes to 
who you're going out to and uh, and what the direction is. And so I just think writing is one of the highest leverage things that we've done as a team. I think those are great uh, three HPTs. And your last one is absolutely right. I mean, writing, getting it down on paper, I always say, gets that out of your head, onto the paper. You're going to be subjective, but it makes it more objective because you it's outside of you and not in this nebulous place in your brain that you can manipulate and convince yourself of six things one way or the other. Uh, well, before we go, I really like that you're a Star Wars fan because I can see your stormtrooper yeah. in, in the uh, in the there's background. Other things you can't see. <laughs> What's that? So there's other things. There's lightsabers and stuff you can't see. Oh well, I'm a I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I replaced my Yoda in the background with uh, Bruce Lee today. So nice. that, that, oh, that's yeah, that, that, that's what you get. But <laughs> that's cool. Where can listeners find you, Brian? Uh, so, uh, you know, you can get a trial, you can, you can learn more, all that sort of good stuff at havocshield.com. Um, one of the things we're, we're quite serious about is like security is a sticky, scary topic and like technology can't solve every problem with it. Um, and, uh, hearkening back to like my sort of uh, mission is like, we're really serious about protecting other small business owners and, uh, whether you're a customer or not, if you have like some questions or some, some anxieties around this, it's keeping you up at night, you got a tough customer, like. We just like to be humans in front of that technology. Uh, so uh, email me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at HavocShield.com. That's awesome. We'll put everything in the show notes. Hey, Brian, thanks a lot for taking time out of your day to share everything in your journey and that seven-mile walk changed everything. Thanks a ton, Brian. This is great. See you, everybody. Thanks for being generous with your time and joining us for this episode of The Edge. Before you go, a quick question. Are you the type of person who wants to get 100% out of your time, talent, and ideas? If so, you'll love our monthly Edge newsletter. It's a monthly playbook about the inner game of building a successful business. Recent issues have shown how we get an additional 11% open rate with our email campaigns by doing this one simple thing. How to avoid losing money on Facebook, Instagram, and Google paid ads with this data-backed strategy. How we designed our ad campaign to get a 76.1% conversion rate on our product page. How to put the money you make from your business to work by investing in the stock market, crypto, and other investments that has led our retirement portfolio to average a 20% return over the last 10 years and tons of other actionable information that will leave you a happier, healthier, and richer business owner. As a fellow entrepreneur who's aiming for nothing short of success, you owe it to yourself to subscribe. Check out the special offer with bonuses for you as a listener at edgenewsletter.com. Again, that's E-D-G-E newsletter.com.